0: The scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, the 18th chapter, verses 33 through 38. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. This is a very familiar passage, isn't it? But it's a strange passage to be preaching about this time of year. It's usually one that we end up hearing sometime around Easter. It's part of the passion narrative. And here we are almost seven months after Easter hearing this passage about Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate. Why would we be doing that? Well, this is Christ the King Sunday. This is the culmination of a short series that we've been doing here at Central about God being the source of all of our gifts as we prepare for Thanksgiving. What more do we have to give thanks for than for Jesus Christ being our king? Being king of all creation. Jesus Christ is our greatest gift. He is our greatest blessing. He's God in the flesh who's come to be one of us and to save us that we might be able to experience eternal life here and now. And that is a a gift worth being grateful for. I want to give you a little bit of background before we start digging into this passage and figuring out why it is that Jesus is our greatest gift. And I want to take us all the way back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, to the very first chapter. John begins with a a section of scripture that we often call the prologue, and it includes the first 18 verses of the chapter. And it tells us why it is that John is writing this particular Gospel. For John, one of the most important things for us to know is that there's a God, and this God created everything. And this God was there in the beginning before anything had been created. And this God was the Father and was the Son, and was the Holy Spirit or the Holy Breath that was breathed into everything, that created all that is, seen and unseen. And for John, the absolute most important thing for us to know is that God loved everything that had been created, so much so that he became one of us. In the flesh, this God chose to humble himself, that he might know our weaknesses, that he might know our strengths. Folks, that's something special, because there's no other God that has humbled himself or herself or itself, to the point of becoming one of those that had been created. Our God became one of us so that he might redeem us, so that he might save us, so to make it so that we can experience an eternity in his presence. But more than all of that, John wants us to know that to be in the presence of Jesus Christ To be in the presence of Jesus Christ means that we get to start experiencing eternal life the very moment that we believe. A lot of people, especially in the South and America, like to think that our goal as Christians is to get to heaven. We've got to believe in God so that we can escape hell, right? And for John, this is just a little bit different than what he believes. The goal is not to live right in this world so that you can get to heaven. The goal for John is not for you to live right while you're here so that you can live for an eternity away from here. For John, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He brought light into the darkness so that we could wake up and see that He has breathed His holy breath into each one of us that we might be able to live forever in God's kingdom here and now. Now that might sound just a little bit different than what many of us have been taught growing up. I know that's a little bit different than the what I had in my head when I was growing up. See, when I was in Sunday school, I was taught that I always needed to be good, to do good, to do right, to to love God, to go to church, to read my Bible, so that I could go to heaven one day. And I imagine a lot of y'all were taught that too, or you heard it somewhere along the way. And now John's telling us in the prologue of his gospel, in the very first 18 verses, of all the things that he needed to say in the very first 18 verses, that the main thing isn't for us to get to heaven. The main thing is that God came from heaven to us so that we can be part of God's kingdom. And we don't have to wait to do that. Now, I don't know about you, but there sounds like there's a lot more hope in John's gospel than what at least I was taught when I was growing up and what the media and uh, a lot of churches end up preaching. We don't have anything to fear if we realize that by following the example of Jesus Christ and by accepting Him as our Lord and Savior, we've already become a member of God's kingdom. It's It's not a guessing game. There's nothing to be unsure of. It's not a... It's not a zero-sum game that gives us some sort of personal membership card that lets us get into heaven. It's a change of heart. It's changing our life to be more in accordance with the will of God. See, it's a kingdom that needs a king to rule over. And because we're part of that kingdom, because we believe, we have a king. Because this king has saved our life, We owe him our life. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Son of God. In all of the Bible, I think this passage of Scripture that we read just a few minutes ago between Jesus and Pontius Pilate is one of the most fascinating parts of Scripture that you can find. It's one of the most fascinating conversations you can find anywhere in the Bible. And I think this because there are so many different undertones that are going on in this conversation You kind of have to know the historical context in order to see what all is being said, but, but it's not being spoken. See, the Roman Empire spanned the entire area during this time. Rome was in charge. Caesar wanted two things. He wanted taxes, and he wanted to make sure that the status quo was not upset, because that would mean that taxes wouldn't be paid. See, Rome needed to stay on top. Rome didn't like to be challenged by anyone. The Roman army was tremendous, one of the greatest of its time, and definitely at the time it it probably was the greatest. If anyone disrupted this paying of taxes or upset the status quo, they would be squashed like a bug right on the spot, no questions asked. Sometimes Caesar would have his armies go into areas that weren't even disrupting the status quo and destroy them, just to make a point. The Roman empire had no problem flexing their muscles for intimidation purposes, or even if they just happened to be bored at the time. Keep all of this in mind while we think about this passage of conversation between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. See, the Jewish leadership was allowed to do whatever it was that they needed to do or wanted to do according to their customs from Rome's point of view as long as they continued to pay their taxes and pay them on time and keep the status quo from being upset. They had to keep all of their people under control in order to maintain their positions. These people in leadership for the Jews knew that if either one of these two things were disrupted... Caesar would have them removed. Most likely they would be killed and someone else would be allowed to control their people. Jesus comes on the scene and starts gaining a large following of people. His followers, are, they're starting to get so numerous and so fanatical about the way that he is teaching and about this life that he's telling them they needed to participate in. And the, the Jewish leadership started thinking that it might not be a very far cry for Rome to get wind of this possible insurrection and start removing the leadership one by one a very dangerous thing was starting to happen. Jesus was stirring the pot in Jerusalem at Passover with all of those people there. And by doing that, he was threatening the careers, the livelihoods of these people in leadership positions for the Jews. But more than that, he was threatening their lives. Jesus never really had any desire to be a political king, I don't believe, over the Jewish people. He really didn't care about ruling over the people of Jerusalem from a fancy palace with people that waited on him hand and foot Now, when I start thinking about kings or people that are in charge of kingdoms, I start thinking of wise old wrinkly men with white beards and a crown and a scepter and and a nice throne and a, a full court of people who wait on them hand and foot. Folks, this isn't what Jesus was looking for. But this is the sort of thing that Rome was always on the lookout for. And knowing that Rome was always looking for this sort of a political leader that would rise to the top of his people and lead a coup, The leaders of the Jews knew that they had to give Jesus up before that happened. And with such a large following, who were so fanatical about following Jesus and doing whatever it was he said, they needed to give him up to Rome, and they needed to do it as fast as possible and make it look like they had no part of him. So Jesus was brought before Pilate. Now, Pilate was the man who was in charge of keeping order in the Roman Empire in Jerusalem at this time. Pilate was vicious. He was a mean guy. And he had no problem putting people on a cross to make a point. Now the cross was, it was a device of torture, of shame, of humiliation. It was a device that was created to make a point. Pilate may not really know that much about Jesus. He might have, I'm sure he had heard of him. There were a lot of people following this man and talking about him. Pilate probably knew that, he he knew who he was, but he didn't really know who this Jesus was. He didn't know how important Jesus was. And I don't really think Pilate really cared about who the people thought Jesus was. I think the only thing Pilate really cared about was that whether this man was the Son of God or not, he was creating quite a stir among all of the people there in Jerusalem. Jesus was upsetting this all-important status quo in the Roman Empire. And right now, at this time during Passover, when the walls of Jerusalem were packed to the brim with far more people than any other time, Pilate could not afford any sort of unrest. So Pilate asked Jesus a very simple question. He needs to know if Jesus is going to be a political leader of a coup or not. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you? Are you going to be a problem for me? Do I need to worry about you? Are you trying to upset the Jewish religious leadership and overthrow them? Pilate really doesn't care who the leader of the Jews is. He just needs to know if there's going to be an insurrection that he needs to quash. And Jesus does what we might all expect. He takes Pilate's very simple question, and he makes it a very much deeper one. Do you really want to know? Do you really care who I am? Or are you just asking this because you've heard other people say that I'm the king of the Jews? Jesus is taking this from a matter of political action to a matter that is far deeper. He's taking it to a matter of the heart. Jesus isn't really concerned with the political reality of the situation at this moment. Right now before Pontius Pilate, Jesus wants to know if he's talking to a man, an actual person who cares who he is, or if he is talking to a mouthpiece for the Roman government. How does Pilate respond? He makes sure that Jesus knows that he is just working for the Roman government. He has no matter of heart involved at all. He is a mouthpiece for the Roman government, and he needs to do his job. Am I a Jew, Jesus? Does it look like I really care if you're my new king? I don't care. All I know is that your own people have handed you over to me so that I can have you killed because they can't do it. What in the world have you done? You know this is Passover. You know this isn't the time to be stirring the pot. Pilate just skirts Jesus' question. Jesus got past the facade that Pilate had put up and went straight to his heart. Are you just asking me what you think you should ask me because of your position? Or do you really care in your heart who I am? What do we do when Jesus asks that to us? How do we respond when Jesus looks past our facades? When Jesus asks us the question, Do you really care who I am, even if it means that you might get caught up in the midst of some upheaval? How do we respond? A lot of times we like to skirt the question just like Pilate tried to. It's easier not to deal with these issues that might create ripples in the water. But let's look a little harder at the the change that happens in the midst of this conversation that Pilate seems to make. Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm, I'm not from here, Pilate. Pilate, you don't have anything to worry about. What you think I'm interested in, I have no interest in at all. Caesar can be Caesar. He can rule over the Roman Empire for all I care. That's just fine with me. My kingdom is not from this world. Look, Pilate, if I'm the king that the Jewish leaders think I am, with all of these people that are following me, that you think are about to cause such unrest, don't you think I would have had them handle a situation where I wouldn't be standing right here in front of you right now? Isn't that what a king around here does? Pilate is thinking, I knew it. I just knew. I knew you were the king that they said you were thinking you were. Jesus is thinking you still don't get it. My kingdom's not of this world, Pilate. I didn't say that. Let me tell you what I'm really up to. Let me put it in other words. Maybe you'll get it now. This is the reason that I was born. This is the reason that I'm here right now. My purpose is to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who's of the truth Everyone who has ears to hear listens to what I say. Pilate is still trying to make this about a political issue. And Jesus keeps going deeper. He keeps pressing the issue. This is the moment when we would all expect and wouldn't blame Jesus if he just turned and ran the other way to save his own skin. He's pushing his luck with the man who was in charge of keeping order in the midst of this very brutal empire. Jesus doesn't run. He keeps talking to Pilate's heart, hoping that his words might get past that hard wall. That it might start to take root in the midst of Pilate. That there might be a change that happens. Pilate, I'm not a political threat. I'm up to something much larger, much greater than you can even imagine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he piques Pilate's curiosity. If you're not a threat, what are you? You're not a threat. Who are you? What is truth? Folks, this passage is only six verses long. There's a lot that goes on in the midst of those six verses. We see Jesus going up against the Roman Empire. We see God's truth coming against the strongest political reality of its time. And we see that the truth is still around. The Roman Empire is not. Empires have come. They've risen to power. They've fallen. The living God has not. He's still very much alive and still very much at work in the midst of our lives and in the midst of this creation. Now, not long after this passage, we find out in Scripture that Pilate may really have understood who Jesus was. He had a sign made to sit atop the cross. And that sign said this. Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Pilate's faith may not have been strong enough for him to decide to go against the grain. It may not have been strong enough for him to create stirs in the water that he really didn't want to do. But it may just have been enough to cause him to start questioning his own heart. I think he knew who Jesus was. He had the opportunity to change that sign, but he said, no, let it stay. What's written has been written. At least he asked the question that all of us may be so lucky to ask. What is truth? Let me explain to you what truth is. Truth is a God who will stop at nothing to show his love for his people. Truth is a God who refuses to let evil oppress his people. Truth is a God who loves each one of us as if we were his only child. Truth is a God who would send his only son to become one of us, to live among us to laugh with us, to cry with us, to die for us. Truth is a God whose voice booms from the heaven. Get up, my son. Today we redeem the world. Today we save creation. Today we defeat death. Today we breathe eternal life into all that is. The truth is Jesus Christ reigns over his kingdom at the right hand of the Father, pleading for us, praying for us, that we might be able to see the truth, embrace the truth, And begin eternal life the very moment that we believe. In just a few moments, we're going to taste that truth. We're going to taste the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to know what He has already done. Has made it so that we can be part of God's kingdom. And we don't have to wait until we die to do it. Right now, we come before the throne of Christ. We serve the risen King. He reigns on high. What is truth? Come and see.